Welcome, welcome, Sabbath morning. Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if that offended anyone. <laughs> welcome to She Became Visible. I am so pleased that you're joining me today. Um, I wish that I, when I talked to Carrie, I wish that I could go to, let's see here, let's see if I go to, I wish that I could go to my chats and go, oh, here's so-and-so and hey, so-and-so. Nobody listens to me. Maybe after this, maybe after this podcast with Carrie, I'll have people that actually uh, listen live. So it's funny though, because I listened to a couple other um, YouTubes where they're, they're broadcasting live and it's, it's almost distracting because you start getting into the subject and pretty soon they're like, oh, Shelly, hey, Shelly, how are you? Where's your mom? How's your mom doing? I'm like, wait, wait, where'd Shelly come from? What are we talking about? But Carrie always does it at the beginning of his show and then he gets into the meat of it. But anyway, welcome to She Became Visible. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I am sitting in guys, I wish you could see my view. Uh, we are snowboarding in um, a fabulous part of Utah and I have the view of the mountain. Well, where don't you have the view of the mountains, right? And you're in this area, but I can just look out my window and I've got these beautiful mountains that are, they're just starting to get sprinkled with a little bit of snow, but they still have some of the orange going on. And it's just an absolutely beautiful morning here. So I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm done with this podcast, but we're going to get outside somehow. Anyway, I want to introduce you to my guest today, Carrie Shorts, Shirts, otherwise known as the Backyard Professor. And what I love about Carrie is he and I have a lot in common as far as just being kind of self-taught and we both have a huge desire to learn. And what is that noise? I don't know if something's beeping. Okay. Anyway. And, um, and I think it's so important to understand that um, learning does not require initials behind your name. And one of my favorite people in the world is Juanita Brooks. Hello. She was a mom, right? And so I love, I love people who, um, Lindsay Hansen Park, my, my absolute idol. I mean, it, it, you don't have to have a piece of paper on your wall that says you are an educated person. And uh, let me tell you, Carrie Schertz is an educated person. And I met him through um, one of the millions of YouTubes that you start going down the rabbit hole. When you, when you start studying, the thing about education is once you start, it is a continual chain somebody will say something, somebody will mention a book. I got to read that book. You order that book from Amazon, the book comes in and, um, and then you start reading the book and something in the book is mentioned and that sends you down another rabbit hole. That is the story of education. That is how it works. And um, what Carrie and I are going to talk a little bit about is um, his trajectory through his membership in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and um, how, where he stands now, where he was for a few years back and what it was that drove him to the position that he stands on right now. And, and also, and I'm going to talk a little bit, you know, about what, what my path was leading myself out of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I hate saying that. I really hate saying that it's the Mormon church. I was, I was a member of this church for over 55 years. It was called the Mormon church. Gordon B. Hinckley was one of my favorite prophets. He defended it when Russell Nelson tried to put it down and stand up and do his little narcissistic ego trip. 
And um, okay, I know what that beeping is. It's my timer telling me that my hard boiled eggs are done. And I hope that it goes off by itself because I'm not going to walk in the kitchen and turn it off. So that's what it is in case you can hear it. Anyway, um, we have a lot of things to talk about today. And it's I, I can tell you right now, it's going to go longer than an hour. So if you need to go get some popcorn, something to drink, you know, like um, I've got something to drink here. Little, little, little beverage to keep me going. I can tell you right now it's going to go longer than an hour. So let me bring Carrie on. Let me introduce you. If you have never met Carrie, you are in for a treat. So here we go. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Sabbath morning. Good morning. Now we're from every care. Yeah. <laughs> oh Good my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that funny that those songs are just in your head forever? Yeah. Yeah, they really are. I mean, the other day at work, I was I was just shocked when I walked outside and this sun was just so wonderful in the morning. And the first thing that popped into my head is, Jesus wants me for a son. <laughs> you know how we used to yeah, say yeah. I'm going, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? I was 12 when we joined the church. So I would, my parents were converts, so I didn't go through the primary program, um, but uh, my kids did. And I was, you know, worked in the primary for a number of years. And I always used to sit in Relief Society and think to myself, you know, if there was to be a second coming and there was, if there was some kind of volcanic act, you know, action and, and mountains tumbling and Jesus coming, I'm going to go sit in the primary room because those guys are all guaranteed from three to at least eight, those guys are all going to the celestial kingdom. So I'm just going to be traipsing behind them, you know, uh, versus priesthood or relief society or any of those other places. Primary is the safe place. Clever. I yeah. wouldn't have thought that way. See, yeah. you women, your minds are needed in yeah. jerk. I'm telling oh, please, you. Please don't even yeah. start. Yeah. No, well, that's what you and I are going to talk about tonight. <laughs> that is what we're going to talk about tonight. It is insane. I know we were watching something last night and i just said now see that's another example if there if there were just six women on that board of directors otherwise known as the high you know, of the 12 apostles if there were just six so many of these things with even with tim ballard not, so many of those things there would have been six women going are you people kidding me do you yeah. not see through this facade i mean you know because that's the intuition yeah yeah, yeah the the stupid crap that goes on just simply couldn't have happened yeah yeah i, I know hey and i love carrie i love you are probably my only guest that you and i look at this two gray-haired people bookends two gray-haired people they we're the bookends of the exmos right <laughs> <laughs> i was telling carrie before we went live that my grandpa grandpa barkley um who this is where I come from, Carrie. He deserted his family and started another one down in Texas somewhere. So that's what that's what I come from. I'm okay. just I'm just trash. And, you know, me and Dolly Parton, we're just we're just right there. But anyway, he was known as Wig. And because he had. Oh, such, yeah, he had such thick gray hair that it looked fake. So that was his nickname was Wig. Wig. And yeah, yeah. So I love, I just really, when I saw you, I'm like, oh, that man's part of my family somewhere. <laughs> I'm, what's, I'm your, honored. <laughs> what's your heritage? Where, where What's your lineage? Your colon, uh, colonizing we, uh, heritage? Uh, our colonizing heritage goes right back to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. 
it really does. Um, my my great 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 great. I'm gonna get this wrong. Great, maybe it's four greats. Grandfather Peter Schertz, when he went out west with the Saints, he became known as the Daniel Boone of the West. I know he's not in a lot of the history of the church, you know, stuff and all. But every now and then I get catches and glimpse of him and some of his kids, King Darius and uh, Don Carlos was real popular, but uh, Peter was a colonizer of Southern Utah. He is the founder of Escalante, Utah. And he also helped survey and found Las Vegas. And every time he came back up north to Salt Lake City, Brigham would say, oh, hey, Peter, I've got another place for you. I need to go check out, go go over there, go down there. And Peter came to him. This was after, you know, dozens of years of work with him. He goes, you know, Brigham, sir, oh, great prophet that thou art, I'm ready to learn polygamy. Oh, and Brigham, yeah. And Brigham said, no, no, you're no. Uh -uh. And Peter goes, I have been totally faithful to you. I, I have done everything you've asked. I mean, I've spent my whole life wearing out mules instead of you wearing them out. I've been founding places, keeping people safe with the Indians. He had very good skills and, and inspiration and relationships with the Indians because he actually did love those people. And right. There's lots of stories about him. The Indians ate his auction one winter. And so the next spring when they came to get more food, he said, well, you ate my auction last winter. You pull my plow and help me garden and I'll feed you this year. And they did. <laughs> yeah. And it's so fun to read those. But so Brigham said no. And Peter basically flipped him in the bird. He said, well, then I'm leaving. And Brigham, no. said, Brigham said, you can't leave. He goes, yeah, yeah see ya. I, I don't want to be any part of this then. Kiss my grits. And Brigham Young excommunicated him. Now, when my dad found that out, dad didn't even know this. Yeah. When my dad found that out, he wept and he went and did the temple work for Peter. Oh, my God. And the interesting thing is, so did every other flipping shirts Mormon in Idaho Falls, Pocatello, Rexburg, Rigby, Iona, Ammon. Everybody did their work for Peter Schertz. So he is definitely in. He's been he is. He is. He's got more than the second anointing. He's got the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth anointing. He's what? got the 29th baptism anointing. Oh my gosh. That's, that is the, you know, we used to have a couple in our ward that whenever it was stake temple day, they would proudly come in with a stack like this and just stand there and pass it out to everybody so that all of us could do the work for their for their relatives and i just remember thinking i don't believe it i i don't believe i don't believe that you fact fact checked i don't believe that you've actually vetted these people i think you just got on family search and if they said that they were a relative you claimed them as a relative and i they're just and i know even to this day there's just so many repetitive works that are being done and it's not really i don't think they figured out a way to actually just you know i mean they probably have done as much as they can with the computer technology that's out there but there's just like you say so many people so many days doing the exact same work and it's just insane but oh i am surprised at that though because didn't Brigham Young say that if you really want to reach the highest kingdom in the celestial kingdom, you had to have at least three wives? Why would he deny that? He just thought he could just, that was just another way of him to be in power. 
uh, that could very well have been. That, for all intents and purposes, that is what it looks like. Yeah. So I promise if it had been the other way and a matriarch had been the prophet, and she said, the only way you can make it is to have three husbands, Brigham Young wouldn't have been one of those. So, I mean, you know, when you, when you switch it, you go, yeah, all right. Yeah. I can see the chicanery and the floppiness here. That's pretty yeah. stupid and stupid. Yeah. It, you know, the, one of the great things, and we are totally just chatting here. We are getting off. We, oh, they, sure. we are, there is no outline. It just went right down their thing. But one of the things about uh, going down the church history rabbit hole is realizing how many um, factions there were and just the breakoffs of, of the church. I, I did not grow up knowing that. I thought that, right. that, that everybody besides, I knew that Emma stayed behind. I didn't mm. really know what the history was. Um, I, I remember reading Mormon Enigma back in the eighties. Um, honestly, though, I've, I've got it. I got it back out again, uh, a year or so ago. And I thought, I'm going to read this again. And as I started reading through it, there was so much information that I've, I've already heard now over the years, over and over and over again. So I thought, oh, I don't know if I can keep my interest in this book now, but it made me think, I don't know if I actually read this whole book. I just remember the part that stuck with me was the fact that she used to dust around the covered golden plates, but she didn't look, she didn't look. And I thought that's either baloney or that is a, that is an amazing woman. Cause I would have been not only looking, I would have been flipping through, you know, so it's like, I don't know if that's true, but wow, you're amazing. But I re just remember reading that book and what, what got me was her quilting, her trying to have a, a bed and breakfast, trying to keep food on the table, trying to bring money into the home while Joseph was out today. I'm this today. I'm that. And, you know, today I've discovered this and, you know, I'm not going to work because I'm so busy being a prophet. So but listen, you know. being a hero is a lot of work. Right? A lot of work. I know. You know Give Joseph a break. Exactly. Well, now, anyway. Sure Emma's got that house clean, dang it. But oh yo, you better go dig or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're totally getting off track, but let's go no, back. No, we're on the, track. That's let's, <laughs> all right, let's go back to Carrie Shirts 101. So you are born and raised in Idaho. What have you got there? Don't throw it. I'm going to. Divergent, oh, divergent paths. The restoration. Okay, all now, the different. I will tell you this. I got this book in a used bookstore for like, what was it? One dollar. One dollar. I stole it. Wow. So this guy, Stephen L. Shields, did this work. Now, it is an older book. Yeah. But he documented, and, and this was a total shocker. I did not know this at all in all of my apologetic years. I've had this book for maybe a decade or so. But he shows that there are at least 250 divergencies off wow. of and I did not know that. I didn't. Well, I had always been raised in cemetery class with yeah. Mormon and the reorganized. And that was all I knew. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even learn about James Strang until I became yeah. a theologist. And then I had to know a little bit about church history. So, yeah, crazy. No, absolutely. Absolutely true. And, and, but what I see now 
is the exact, I mean, I know, like you say, there's 200, 300, what a Lindsay Hansen Park, 400 different ways to Mormon, you know, and, and you look back on that and you think, oh, well, those were, those were, you know, like say James String, those were just men with egos or, you know, and then you look at Denver Snuffer and you think, eh, you're just a, but then I'm starting to see these, you know, women with their podcasts that are lovers of Joseph Smith that defy, you know, and absolutely detest Brigham Young. And so they're, they're coming up with all of these. And, and what surprises me, Carrie, is really reputable historians, you know, uh, Brian Hales and John Hammond, they're going on these shows and they're presenting the historical facts. And these people are still, no, no, that's not a contemporary uh, a source. No, no. You know, there's there's proof that, you know, William uh, Law was lying. And, you know, I mean, they just go on and on. And you're like, OK, I see what happened 200 years ago. I get it now. This is what happens, you know. And uh, it's just it's fascinating to see, you know, history repeating itself human beings being the same as we've always been. And there's nothing new. It's all just recycled human behavior. But anyway, I love that you call seminary cemetery because what was that? I'm sorry. Say that again. That's pretty pessimistic. Right. <laughs> Realistic. Yes. Pessimistic, you know? I, I thought it was an optimist before I started going down the rabbit hole of church history. I did too. I did too. Uh, yeah, I'm now I'm now I'm just a cynic, but and I and I'm I'm not I'm not very good at, at gray areas. I'm I'm kind of still in my angry oh, black oh, and white face. You're a lovely gray dame. You're a great <laughs> you you great dame. So there you have it. <laughs> there you go. Well, tell us about your I mean, I know that you were born and raised in the church. You grew up in Idaho. Did you grow up in just a bubble of Mormonism in Idaho? Yeah. Five five boys. Yeah. And uh, my mom survived. She's still living and she's going to outlive us all. Tell right? me about your mom. Tell it's me a, about your mom. She is, well, she raised five boys. That yeah. That is vastly superior to most other people in the neighborhood because, of course, they were doing the Mormon thing, right? But yeah. no, my mom was a wonderful, I, I had a fantastic childhood. I have nothing to complain about. I had friends, both LDS and non-LDS my whole life, uh, growing up until my mission. And, uh, I did, I was, I was a typical obedient Mormon boy. I did the baptism and I did the confirmation and then I would, uh, be a good boy until I turned 12 and became a deacon then. And I did all my deacon duties. I never missed a meeting. I passed the sacrament every time. I did the same thing as a teacher. I prepared the sacrament every single Sunday, never skipped. And I did the same thing as a priest. I blessed the sacrament every single Sunday. And then I went to cemetery class, seminary class <laughs> all four years and I graduated, you know, I graduated. So that means, see, to build you up, you graduated with honors because you went through all four years. Yeah. But the, I actually, I did, I, I swear to goodness, I actually read each one of the standard works because each year they emphasize a different standard work, right? Yeah. The, my, my first year in seminary, we had the Old Testament. So we were supposed to read the Old Testament that year. Well, I did. I, I thought, well, okay, there's the assignment. So 
I read it. The whole dang thing. I didn't understand it, but I read it. And then the next year, New Testament, then Doctrine and Covenants and Prorogate Price, and then Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was my senior year. So, but I did all that. And then I went on a mission to Missouri, St. Louis. And I had an absolute ball, except for the weather. The weather was <laughs> difficult. I Ooh. got, yeah. Oh my, the, uh, the, uh, humidity. humidity. Yeah. Oh, that was a new one to me. Yeah, yeah. Because we had had 100-degree days in my childhood, but wow, 100 degrees in Missouri is not the same. Oh. And the hottest day I remember tracting was 108, and it was 89% humidity. Oh. And we had to have a glass of water. You could see we, we left water trails down the sidewalk over to the next house tracting and we only did about half a block and we both kind of looked at each other and said this is really stupid yeah yeah <laughs> let's go in yeah. so so i did the whole i did the whole thing i came home and within uh within a year or so i received a revelation of who i was supposed to marry for the rest of my life and so i did and i went through a temple marriage and all that and so we were both, what's the, the best way to do this so that we don't slap both of us down? We were both too immature. We were both raised Mormon. And so we didn't have any idea on what marriage involved. Right. Any more than you know about the temple. Exactly. Before you go in. They say yeah. temple prep class. We all know that's malarkey. Yeah. You are just, if you're not shocked when you first go through the temple, you slept through it, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, yeah, and so we got married, and we had uh, two kids, and then we ended up in a divorce because we were both too young and too immature. Of course, they emphasized, get home, now you have to do your duty, get married, have kids, so that you can keep paying your tithing, and they can too. You can teach them true eternal principles. So we... Uh, Am I still on? Uh-oh, did you blink out? I just blanked out. Just going to give you the full stage. Giving oh, you the full oh, okay, stage there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure you didn't. You didn't. No, no. Every yeah. now and then, my, my channel will just cut off. Oh, okay. Okay. So anyway, yeah. To make a long story even longer, I, no, I won't. After my divorce, I felt so much guilt that... I determined I'm going to prove to God that I am worthy. Mm. And so I became an apologist. Um. Now, on my mission, for whatever reason, uh, on my mission, I discovered Hugh Nibley. I had actually discovered Hugh Nibley without knowing who he was or what he was. Um, my dad had read a couple of items of Hugh Nibley's, and I had two in my teenage years without realizing what I had on my mission, though, I did have a doctor. Uh, I believe he was a family practicing doctor who was also LDS. And he introduced me to Hugh Nibley in a big way. And so that's where I became acquainted with Hugh Nibley. And I fell so enamorously in love with him that I promised the Lord, when I get home, I will buy every book this man has written. I will I will photocopy every article he has printed. I really want to be like this guy. So that's what I attempted to do. I went to yeah. 
Ricks College for two years, got an associate's degree, which is literally, essentially a two-year babysitting stint <laughs> for them. Yeah. Because, you know, the whole point of church college, I mean, let's not let this cat out of the bag too loud, yeah. but yeah. the whole point of church college is to get the kids to get married. So really, it was just a, a, a yeah, that's what it was. It was a... Uh... Uh, what do they call it? Like Love Island. It was like a Love Island. You have That's two years to find your spouse and then please get out of here. And you know, we don't have room in, in Utah in Provo. So we're just going to make this little school in Idaho where people can meet each other, get married and get out of here. That's so funny. I never thought about <laughs> that, that. Is, that is the best summation I have ever heard. <laughs> Very well done. You get a gold forehead on your show. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Oh, oh, my gosh. So the associate's degree didn't mean anything. My education there, I had some wonderful classes. I had some terrific professors. What I discovered was the Improvement Era articles from the very first one printed, and they were all on the open shelves. Well, having read some of Hugh Nibley's uh, since Camorra, he did have a Melchizedek Priesthood Manual in 1959, an approach to the Book of Mormon. He did that radio series on the world and the prophets. His references would often refer to, oh, this is out of my article in the Improvement Era for 1954. This is out of my Improvement Era article for 1969, etc. Well, when I found the Improvement Era articles, he had stuff like Baptism for the Dead in Ancient Times. He had the series of articles there were Jaredites. His entire book since Camorra was a series of improvement era articles initially, and then they edited that all together, and it ended up being like a 450-page book. That's how much oh this man was writing. Well, yeah. I photocopied it all. Oh my gosh. While still paying my tithing. I still have a lot of the originals, but then Farms later came out with the entire set of Hugh Nibley materials, and I bought all 20 volumes or however many there are. So I've got them at least bound. So that's amazing. Yeah. So where, where do you put him now? Now that you've kind of gone over the hill, where how do you what do you what do you think about Hugh Nibley now? I it's obvious the man was seriously educated. Yeah. There's no question about that. Very intelligent, far more intelligent with languages than I would ever be. The amazing thing, and I mean no disrespect whatsoever. I know there might be apologists who watch this and say, yeah, you traitor, you barbarian. <laughs> but Nibley, his big deal, he made it a big deal to really – uh, eviscerate the ancient rhetoricians. Oh. Now, a, a rhetorician, by definition, the classical definitions, uh, I'm going to blow that either Cicero or Plato, one of, one of the classic Greeks, said that this is a person who makes true things appear to be false and false things appear to be true. It's, it's professional liars, and according to Nibley's slant on the ancient antique history, it is precisely that that caused the downfall 
of ancient civilizations is when the nation can no longer tell the truth to you, it cannot continue to exist. Mm. Uh, that sounds a little too close for comfort right now. <laughs> I'm, I appreciate you saying that because that's the status we're in right now. Yeah. And that mean, and that is national and within the church. Yeah. It's everywhere because of the internet. Now this is a blessing and a curse. And yeah. I never thought I'd say that this is a double-edged sword we're playing with right now, this internet stuff, right. because the amount of disinformation is equally proportionate to the amount of information yeah. and that can't sustain us. We yeah. have to, it's scary. But so my classification of Nibley is a well-meaning rhetorician for Mormonism uh. that was paid to defend it yeah yeah wow that's such a tough one because um like you say i'm i'm you know just listening to this last conference and i don't know why gene cook just constantly you know every time he gives a talk i mean i like i said i what i love about you is your ability to retain the information that you learn and and i have to listen i mean sometimes i'll be going through a youtube halfway through i'll go I think they've already watched this, you know, but I'll finish watching it because it helps me to retain the information. But, you know, it's like a couple of conferences ago when he stood up and was standing in Carthage jail or Liberty jail. I can't remember where he was standing. And he's like, oh, Joseph Smith was here because of his stance on slavery. And I was like, well, that's not true. That's just an out and out lie, you know? And when you start doing the, the, the history and then you start seeing the lies, just lies that are being told. And I'm sure other people that, that are busy, like we all were doing our callings and raising children and everything else that we're doing. I, I, I mean, I'm like you, Carrie. I went to seminary. I don't even remember that we studied all four of the, the Book of Mormon, Old Testament. All I know is my teacher once called my parents and said, could you please ask her to stop talking? And, you know, and now, and here I am. So that explains everything. I mean, I, failed, thank the Lord. We I, mean, I went to seminary because I lived, you know, when we first joined the church, we lived in, in uh, Aurora, Illinois. I grew up in Illinois. So I know your humidity story. Oh, and yeah. I drove, We I got up at 4.30 in the morning so because we had to drive 45 minutes to the church in Naperville, Illinois. And but I went every day to see my friends. That's why I went. And then we moved to uh, Washington State my senior year in high school. And the friends that I made, the girlfriends that I made were in the ward and they went to one high school and I went to another. So I went to seminary so that I could talk with my friends. So I didn't read I don't read the Old Testament until probably 10 years ago, you know, and uh, the Book of Mormon, I probably I read that when I first um, uh, got uh, when I first went into the Navy and I had an illness and I was hospitalized for a while. I didn't have anything to do. So I thought, well, maybe I'll read the Book of Mormon. And I remember shutting it after I read it and going, well, that was fun. I should read this sometime because I just wasn't focused. I, I read the words, but I didn't you know, take it in. So the fact that you studied at that age, that was a preview of coming attractions for where you were headed. And, um, and, and I, there's so many other people that I've heard that once I read the Old Testament, I was like, okay, that was scary. I don't know if I can believe in a God that does all that stuff, you know? I'm still there. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm, that, I'm taking it one step into the Hebrew and now the Greek too. So. Yes, that's amazing. Are you doing that on your own? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm, I'm no good at either one of them, but I have a lot of lexicons and dictionaries and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable. I'm able to look up all kinds of conjugated verbs and all that stuff. It's yeah, it's fun. It's more interesting that way. So is it is Dan McClellan? I mean, do you just feast on his uh, knowledge? Do you listen to oh, Dan he, McClellan he, and stuff? He is an animal man. That oh. guy is oh, he's spectacular. Yeah. I like him. I, I mean, gotta pay him on my show. So yeah, he's oh, good. He is amazing. But yeah, I just I I am just so envious of that of that. I mean, I'm 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 ne never gonna do anything like that, but just the the constant desire to learn. And so you became an apologist because you loved the gospel so much, you wanted to be prepared to defend any anything that would come your way is that yeah. correct and yeah. did you how did you take that did, did you were you um uh on any kind of panels or were you do, doing any kind of speeches in places or how did you use your apology you know role that you adopted yeah i uh i um i read the book of mormon once a month every month on my mission and by the time I got home, I felt like I was had a pretty good understanding of it, 24 times under my belt, plus the one in seminary. And so I thought, well, and then I had been introduced to Hugh Nibley. Now, when, when I read Nibley's materials, he was well known for his Book of Mormon materials. Right. And I was shocked at how much more in-depth on the Book of Mormon, I was learning than what I had done on my own. So I virtually just bought everything Nibley wrote and read it and reread it and reread it. And then along came the internet. Oh. And I, of course, got on to the internet. Oh, okay. Jumped on some, uh, was it Alt Religion Mormon, I believe was one of the very first groups that I got on. Once I really recognized what a, a friend of ours came and got me hooked up and he said, okay, now you type something and, you know, introduce yourself, say uh -huh. hi. I'm Carrie. And so I did. And he said, okay, now you see that number up here in this corner? I said, yeah. He said, there are 938 and 938,028 people on right now that are reading your message. Oh my gosh. That was my reaction. I said, wait. You mean there's almost a million people here? He said, on this group, wow. there are thousands of other groups with thousands of other subjects. And this was just when it first got started in the, uh, well, I got, I, this is when I first got started. It was relatively new, this internet. I, I got on, I think it had been in existence for three or four years. So it was still somewhat new. And once I saw that, I said, I can see how well Hugh Nibley's arguments hold up for the Book of Mormon. Oh. So that's when I got started. After about a year or so, I felt I was doing pretty good. I I had uh, I had a hundred emails a day oh. that were sent to me every day, seven days a week, and I was answering them all. Oh my gosh! Yeah, talk about an eager beaver. Oh. My goodness. And 
several LDS people were also getting on and asking me questions as were other people. And every now and then someone would say, dude, I love how you manhandled that idiotic anti-Mormon. What a schmuck. You really destroyed him with your Book of Mormon argument. I've never heard that. Where'd you get that? And so I'd send him off to Hugh Nibley and, you know, stuff like that. Right. And Farms was founded. Uh, I discovered them when I was at Rick's College in 1981. And I collected all of their materials. So I was using both farms and Hunibri okay. in those days. Well, two people actually got with me and they said, we're noticing, and I actually communicated with them too. I said, yeah, uh, that was a great answer. You actually had an angle I didn't think of, uh, but I've already answered that question. And it dawned on us, hey, there are people who, the the questions are being repeated. Yeah. Same questions over and over and over again. And we kind of felt like we were spinning our wheels. Right. It wasn't people being antagonistic either. The internet was a new phenomenon. It was yeah. more people coming on oh. who had had our previous discussions three months earlier. So right. they were the same kinds of questions. So we decided to get together and make a website so that we could put the question and the answer, and then we could refer people to that website. We would do research behind the scenes and put up uh, testimony strengthening information. And we called that website FAIR. Oh, no way. Yes, ma'am. I am one of the original three founders of FAIR. That is insane. Daryl Parksdale, Julianne Reynolds, and myself found it. Now, they don't claim me now, of course. It's all good. We're the ones that put Scott Gordon in uh, uh, charge. He's been the president for, like, what, 22 years now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is so amazing that they just completely wipe you away. Because you know, just well, like, not really. Yeah, I mean, you can find you. Well, it's all, it's that's all a, good. Yeah, that's yeah, the great thing about the internet. You can't really, you, you know, people download stuff, they save stuff, and it's like, nice try, but we got it. So, well, I mean, I, I've come out pretty strong uh, about the uh, the shelf breaker uh, that the book of Abraham is because that was yeah. my fault as an apologist i wanted to make it that way but i wasn't very good at it i'm you still wanted to make the book of abraham you wanted to defend the book of abraham yeah. that was going to be your your that, your my... guy you 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 were oh if you have any questions about the book of abraham go to carrie and he's got it all so that's your and area of expertise that was my area the, and and i couldn't help it because it was just so it was fun and fascinating. Nibley had done a lot of work on that. So had a lot of the BYU people. And there were uh, new up-and-coming Egyptologists with the papyri, John Gee. And I was out before or, or maybe during uh, Kerry Mulstein's becoming an Egyptologist. So I didn't really read his materials until after I had said, no, this doesn't work. So, okay. but John Gee, I got to know a little bit and, and then Dan Peterson dabbled in it like I was doing. Yeah. And, and I got to know the farms boys really well. My favorites were Matt Roper and John Twetness because I would go down there three and four times a year and just hang out with them. And John Twetness, he was a great Hebrew scholar. He loved the Hebrew in the old Testament. He would share the latest information. 
He would say, hey, Carrie, look at this. Check this out. I've been analyzing the Hebrew on this and this. In Isaiah, now this, now we have an answer for the Book of Mormon problem with Isaiah and, you know, stuff like that. And it was so much fun. I'd spend the whole day with him. And then he would turn around and he'd say, oh, hey, by the way, uh, I got a new book for you here. And he gave me a new book. Oh, it, was, it was either one he wrote or one that he found. And I said, yeah, I bought an extra copy knowing you'd come here. Oh, so. Uh, what, okay. so at that time, what do you think, what, what was stopping your cognitive dissonance? What, what was stopping you from looking at this material and listening to, you know, um, the Egyptologists and going, you know, you know, was there any time where you're listening to this, where you, you started, when did you start going? That doesn't make sense. That, that can't be true. What, you know, what was your like, Whoa, oh, crud moment. Yeah, that is a big moment in everybody's life with this, with this particular subject, the right. book. Abraham. I, now this is interesting and it's a it's a bad confession but it is what everybody does and it doesn't matter whether they deny it or not and I I will probably get people who say yeah Carrie's now just covering his own tracks and all maybe he was guilty of that but I'm not oh. and I guarantee you they are yeah. there's only one way you can maintain faith in the book of Abraham and that is only ever read the one side with intent to understand, skim the other half and use it to put lots of references in footnotes to give yourself the appearance of valid scholarship analysis. And we have refuted the Egyptologists. Joseph Smith is okay. There's only one way you can do that because that, Am I allowed? To, that is pure bullpucky. Yeah. I'll, put it that way. I'll be gentle here. There is much stronger materials from the Egyptologists that I never even understood. Here's the crazy thing about this, Renee. It number one, it's hard enough as it is, actually, truly. Okay. Yeah. For the that's why they don't, yeah, that's why they don't do the Joseph Smith papyri in seminary. Yeah, I yeah. get it. That's right. These kids don't care anyway. They're not interested in that. They right. want to play a video game. So you better right. put the Mormon in a video game and they'll at least get something about the scripture into it. Right, right. right. Otherwise, they're going to just quit coming. Now, we weren't that brave. We weren't that uh, independent when I was going to seminary. I mean, you went and you paid attention and... Right. You do the assignments. And, and I was happy. It was a great time. It was all great. Right, right. With this subject, there is some complication. So to keep the confusion at a minimum, I always only ever read the apologetic materials because, listen up, world, the Holy Ghost is guiding the brethren. The brethren are helping pass that down. This is a vague general sort of scheme in my mind I had while I was an apologist. The brethren, of course, are passing down the knowledge of the Holy Ghost into BYU and uh, BYU-Idaho and BYU-Hawaii. And the, the scholars are generally more inspired than the world scholars. So 
what they're trying to do is straighten out the confusion that the Egyptologists are causing because the Egyptologists have a bias against the church. So that's what it all boils down to base. So it's, it's the whole think celestial mantra where you only read the approved, approved materials and these men are educated. There's no way that someone could be that educated and not be telling you the truth. There's that mindset. I mean, I know that a lot of people are just convinced that Russell Nelson could not be telling you anything that's not factual because the man is a cardiac surgeon. I mean, how could he not? And a very good one for his day. He really right. was. There's no question. Yeah. Right. Yeah, give, give him kudos there. But right. that can't possibly translate over into teaching correct Mormon doctrine. That's where the disconnect is. That's the, and that's what I tell my husband all the time, because he is, you know, he, this man, my husband, you know, people like to say to him, you know, where did you go to school? And he said, I, I went to school in, in uh, Pomeroy. And they'll go, Pomeroy. I've never heard of that institution. Where's that college located? And he goes, no, 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 that's Pomeroy high school. It's a small town in Eastern uh, Washington state, you know, and he's just a blue collar, hardworking person, but that man knows his cranes. He knows how to, he knows everything there is to know about a crane because that was his field. That was his expertise. And so it's, but people get so caught up on these labels and initials behind people's names that they're like, well, he obviously knows what he's talking about because he has a PhD in microbiology. And it's like, yeah, but he doesn't know anything about this. And none of these people are theologians. None of these people are as knowledgeable as Dan McClellan, you know, as far as the, the you know. And so it's, it, but people can't uh, separate well, that. They feel right. like God fills in the blanks. Like, yes, you're a cardiac surgeon, but hey, God will fill in the blanks. Hey, know? that's a great way to put that. Yeah. Thank you for saying it that way. That 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 was that that in a nutshell is how I was thinking as an apologist. Thank you. That was good because because that is what we're talking. God does fill in the blank. Now, when you find a parallel, and it doesn't matter if there's a Book of Mormon archaeological parallel from Mesoamerica, or or um, something in Egypt with the Book of Abraham, or there's something that crops up in church history in Ohio that we all missed, and now all of a sudden we go, hey, hey, look at this. This sheds new light on Joseph Smith's teaching here. That's the Holy Ghost filling it in. Yes. So testimony is strengthened, and so the church is still true. Now, and here's the lesson, you doubters. Here's the lesson. For the last 47 years of my life, I had it wrong and didn't know it. Then I found out I had it wrong. Did I quit church over that? No, yeah. I had faith. And now look, a new piece of historical evidence comes in, and it shows that Joseph Smith was accurate after all. That happens all across the board, and yeah. so you want to maintain your faith. That's the apologetic mindset. I see. And so how many years and you're just going through life, you found this platform with these people, you're answering questions, you're becoming an expert. How many years, what was it where you finally said, I can't do this anymore? I remember that. Uh, hang on just one quick. I'm going to pull a backyard. Professor. Right, do, it, do it. I love it. Oh, I feel terrible about this. I'll get over it, though. Uh, and I won't be able to find it. 
It's all good. I'll just I didn't find you. anything. I love you organize the way I organize. It's like, do not touch my pile. I just throw it over there. <laughs> if you touch my pile, I will never find it. Just leave my pile alone. <laughs> yes. We we are kindred after all, dear. Exactly. Okay, anyway, it was uh okay. With with John Gee. Uh, he basically took over Hugh Nibley's mantle and he systematically stepped in to respond to uh, critical arguments against certain relationships, either within the papyri or the relationships between the papyri and the text of the book of Abraham or something with ancient Egyptian history and biblical history, et cetera. John Gee was the man to go to. One, he was he was there at BYU full-time, and he was traveling to several different conferences of Egyptology. He was the chair and the head of a certain type of uh, publishing firm organization on Egyptology. Forgive me for not keeping all the details straight. But anyway, he was the man to go to. And as I read his materials, now most of his materials, when dealing with the papyri or with the Book of Abraham, were published through the Farms Review of Books. But he's well published in other Egyptological journals oh. when it comes to studying the history of Amenhotep or the third pharaoh of the second dynasty, we now know what that guy was all about, et cetera. But okay. he never mixed the two. Okay. He would keep the LDS Egyptological materials in the farms arena and okay. the scholarly Egyptology materials in the scholarship. Michael Dennis Rhodes and Kerry Molstein didn't do that as well. And they got blistered because of it. This was when Robert Rittner, who was John Gee's professor for a while, he was his chair, department chair to help him get his PhD. Robert Rittner began calling out what some of the Mormon scholars were saying about Joseph Smith's interpretations of the facsimiles and his translation of certain parts of the papyri. And he was saying, that's not accurate. And then he had the audacity to call them out and say, and you know it's not accurate. Why are you telling your youth that it oh is? That's so you are a liar. You are lying, and why uh, are you lying? Whitner, in the most classy way, disowned John Gee's LDS Egyptological scholarship because that reflected on him. Now yeah, he was true. he was the Western world's foremost Egyptologist. He wasn't just at Chicago. The entire Egyptology field recognized the Western world scholar to go to is Robert Rittner. So he had to defend his integrity. And he is that is why he told everyone in true publications yeah. that I did not teach John Gee that. He knows better than to utilize that particular method I didn't teach him to think that way. Here's how I taught him. That is his religious training. And 
I disown that. He's a good student when he keeps the Egyptology accurate. Right. When he goes to the Joseph Smith papyri, he always messes it up. I'm summarizing. There's yeah. a but did he do that as a defense because John Gee was was calling him out? This was my professor. He's one of the leading Egyptologists. People go to him from all over the world. He is my professor. Therefore, I know what I'm talking about. And was that the precipice for John Gee or for Robert Rittner to then go, no, 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 don't bring me into your little coven because that is not what I taught you. Was that was that what motivated you that? Got it. You got it right oh, on. Wow. wow. As Apologist, I had only ever read the LDS side, so I did not know. I was only, it's like today's church leadership. Yeah. They're only using half of our humanity to be leaders. The women are being left out, wow. as are the majority of all the minorities. Yeah. They're even making women a minority, which is asinine. Sorry if I can't say that. Yeah, no. You, yeah, you we're not, we'll, we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll talk later about the three women that spoke in conference. It's like, well, you've got yeah. three women in Relief Society. Yeah, the three women three. Primary. Yeah, there you go. You know, and, and I love Brittany, Britt Hartley, though. One time I was talking to her and she said, I don't know why everybody's all up in arms about women. She goes, what do you, why would we want more women to speak? What do you think they're going to do? They're just going to quote the men. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a good point. You know, but the the three women that spoke they were pretty they were pretty good. I didn't I didn't enjoy Amy's as much. It was a little bit primary voicey. Uh, but Emily's and Tamara's uh, they, it was okay. It was like some of the other talks that were just basic Christian be kind to one another talks. So it wasn't wasn't that bad. But right. yeah, you're so you're so right. So so now you've got this platform of Reddit and other online things. And were, was there yeah. was there a time when you had to go? Hey guys, let yes. me introduce you to the new Carrie shirts. Yes. And and I we had a private email list with Fair where only those oh. of us who belong to Fair could get together and behind the scenes, unseen by the world. Does this sound familiar? We could do all our research and gather all of our information out and then put it out on the web. But we had like 20 and 30 of us working on one subject on one paper so that we would win the argument, yeah. period. And so through time, Kevin Graham, it's inevitable the Joseph Smith Papyri and Book of Abraham subject always comes up. Uh, let me say here officially, that is, in my opinion, the smoking gun against yeah. Joseph Smith. Uh, yeah. People don't like putting it quite that strong, and I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit too. Um, seriously now, for real, it, it really, it can't be a testimony building miracle that happens. They need a miracle if they're going to save the book. And I mean, on par with if Moses really did that Red Sea the way Charlton Heston is shown in that hokey movie, yeah. The Tank Moments, it's going to take something that caliber because yeah. it can't be saved. So, Kevin, yeah. in the fair, he began arguing against some of the LDS approaches and i was full-blown i was the director of research i was full-blown apologist and kevin and i were real good friends kevin began to push back and they they kicked him out of the list and i said wait a minute i'm the director of research you can't 
kick. We don't want to kick people out of the list. We want to bring people in. And Kevin is one of the most intelligent one among us. What are you doing kicking him out? Well, he's not following the brethren. <gasps> we started FAIR to, as an independent organization. Right. And by that time, Scott Gordon was president. He said, uh, Carrie, it, we will follow the brethren and we will come to their conclusions. If they tell us to pull the plug, we're pulling the plug. And I said, my eye, I founded this thing. And he said, you're no longer in charge. You're not on the board of directors and you're not on the board and you're not the president. I am. I'm calling the shots and we do it by the brethren's playbook. And I said, we organized fair to remain independent of the church. And he said, and we're bringing in one of the seventies. <gasps> as a member of the board. Oh, my gosh. And I said, you know what? That's good. I'm fine. I'm going to go independent, too. I really don't want to associate with it. This is not what I want. This, this oh is not gosh. what our founding vision was at yeah. all. So through time, Kevin actually communicated with Robert Rittner and asked his opinions. And Robert Rittner kindly responded, bless his heart, because Kevin was a nobody to Robert Rittner. I mean, yeah. the vast majority of yeah. the world, nobody, right? But he did yeah. respond very crisply, clearly, and thoroughly. Kevin approached John Gee with that information. And he said, John, you're not telling the story right. Here's what Robert Rittner says. So that caused a huge uproar and explosion. Well, through time, it dawned on me. I have never been able to get straight the eyewitness accounts to the papyri and the relationship of the papyri well, you know, you hear the Egyptian alphabet and grammar. The right. moment you say that word, your eyes glaze over. Mine yes. still do. And now it's clear to me. It's all good. I know what I'm talking about now, finally. But even just saying it, everyone's like, oh, God. that. And then you talk about the Princess Khatoumin, and you go, uh, and then you talk about the Book of Breathings. Why are you making it so complicated? Right. We're we're just telling you the relation. We're just telling you the types of books in the papyri collection. Then you have to tie the book of Abraham to it. So it's a difficult subject. It dawned on me. I am still confused about that relationship. Now okay. I've been an apologist all this time, and and I'm still confused. <laughs> the breakdown isn't that odd what am yeah. i doing I'm confused I, i'm one of the best defenders yeah how can i be confused right and there's no wonder the anamormons constantly kept heckling me and saying no 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 shirts you got it wrong that's not how it is it's this way and i would say no 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 because there's a missing role of papyri you know i was just using john gee and hugh nibley's arguments right because they were the lds scholars so finally I did the honest thing. I read Robert Rittner's book, oh. The Papyri, the complete edition. And then I read H. Michael Marquardt's chapter in that book, and it dawned on me oh my gosh, key moment. 
just like with all of the church essays that they put on their website on all the different subjects, right. man to God, women in the priesthood, blacks in the priesthood, book Abraham, book of Mormon archaeology, all of that, it dawned on me. The Mormons are deliberately making this more difficult than it really is because they know the translation's wrong. Yeah, and, and the more difficult they make it sound, the more educated you have to be to truly understand. If you doubt it, then you just aren't smart enough to really understand this Egyptology. They're doing, they're doing this. Yeah, yeah. They're distracting you with that argument. That's right. exactly what they do, though. And so once I got it straightened out, I realized... It's the Mormons who are making it more complex to yeah. help maintain the faith that something's going to come that, that, that supports Joseph Smith. In the meantime, we have all these wonderful parallels. We have all these beautiful ancient Egyptian names that kind of match what Joseph Smith put in the facsimiles, etc. And so they're, that's how they're playing this out. On this particular, they're doing the same thing with the Book of Mormon and archaeology. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's where they've had to go now because there's so much evidence out there. And I was listening to, uh, again, I, the thing I love about YouTube is that the algorithm just sends you to all these things. And suddenly you've got all this more information. So suddenly, for some reason, I'm listening to Ted Ka uh, Collister, to pronounce it correctly. I'm listening to his uh, defense of the Book of Mormon. And I remember thinking, well, that's odd. Um, that's pretty primary. And then I saw another, there's these two young men, these two, I mean, they could be right out of the Book of Mormon musical. Uh, Stick of Joseph, I think is what their podcast is called. And oh, they, yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched a couple of theirs. Uh -huh. Yeah. And they were interviewing Ted, uh, Tad rather, Tad Collister. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, some of the things that he was saying, I'm like, that's so primary basic information. And it, at some point, you know, I, I remember a couple of conferences ago, President Nelson saying this isn't historical. And I'm like, well, that's a that's a declaration that's I haven't heard. And then right from there, it's almost like people were like, ah, and they dug deeper into the, you know, and then I'm I'm listening to the mezzo and the in New York and the mound builders and the blah, 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 blah. And it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, all I know is my gut tells me years ago, before I ever even considered removing my membership from this church. I was just one of those people that was like, oh, you silly people, whatever. I got kids to take the primary. I can't listen to this. And, but I remember I stopped one year when you're, what, like you were saying, they did the Book of Mormon one year in New Testament, Old Testament, and it was Doctrine and Covenants year. And I remember right then I said, I'm not reading this. This is, this is too convenient. How convenient that this revelation just came in that says, oh, by the way, you need to build me a house. Yeah, <laughs> God just said, you need to build me a house, you know, Brother Knight. Just that would be really great, God. And oh, by the way, Martin, God just told me you need to, you know, finance your your uh, your ranch. That's It's just amazing. I mean, I was dumb enough to recognize how convenient these revelations were. And I thought my way of handling that, my cognitive dissonance said, I'm just not going to read it. And I'm not going to go to Sunday school that year because something tells me this isn't true. But it, but 
again, you can, when you're going through that cognitive dissonance, you can separate God from the silliness of men. And you just, in the very end, the very last thing is it'll all work itself out in the end. It'll all figure out in the meantime. And that's how you get through. It'll all work itself out. Yeah. You know? yeah. And now yeah. that's what they're actually saying. Now they're all at, over the pulpit. They're like, we don't know, but it'll all work itself out. And I'm like, well, that's convenient on that one. What about this one? You know, but, but everything is questionable and questioning and we don't know when it'll all work out then what the hell good's a prophet? Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to be being worked out through revelation. Where yeah. are you? Yeah, yeah. That's the downside of that approach. It right. would be first off the top of my head, though. So, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite, I wish I, I, I should see if I could find it. One of my favorite, somebody made a meme and it was the uh, conference center and it was a picture of a an overhead to the left. Let me see if I, okay, I'm going to see if I can bring it on here. Okay, let me grab it. And and, and it's uh it's got the uh made a cartoon of you. <laughs> yeah, they've got the they've got the 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 neon blinking sign and it says today he is speaking for a bleep bleep a man. Oh nope, a prophet, nope, a man, nope, a prophet, <laughs> you know, so that everybody that's sitting in the audience will know that you know that it is oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, they're, what they're speaking as so that we know so that we're you know we're confident. even that's an ad hoc cop-out phony excuse for when they're yeah. wrong yeah, yeah. so yeah. one of the things that i love that you're doing is you're you are going through the gospel topic essays and um and and kind Wonderful. of but yeah. there again you know people have got to come to some kind of peace within their own souls they have to come. And I know that it is an absolute, uh, you know, I always say I am not blind to the fact that our children were grown and gone when I had my my deconstruction. Uh, I like to call it my awakening because I don't find any sadness in it whatsoever. I don't call it, it a faith crisis. I, I call it a, an awakening. And, and I feel like I was just almost um, I feel almost closer to a deity. Uh, because of it, because I feel like that I've I've found the truth and and uh, gotten out from underneath some kind of a a weird uh, captivity of some kind. But um, you know, it is something that you can talk yourself till you're blue in the face. And um, it is interesting to hear the people that listen to conference and they're like, "Why are you being so critical? Why do you have to criticize everything? You're taking things out of context. That's not what he means." And it's like, I get it. I remember reading something, you know, years ago and going, "Wow, they're just so angry. Why can't you just, you know?" And so that's that's just very typical. But I love the work that you're doing, and I love the people that you're that you interview on your show, and I love your Sunday nights. Tell everybody. Tell everybody how you work your your because uh, you don't you don't necessarily have a podcast. You're just literally on YouTube, isn't that correct? Yeah, I've got a I've got a YouTube um, backyard professor live through Mormon Discussion Inc. I also have a complete separate chess channel that used to be my old Mormon apologetics channel. And I am going to get back developing that one also eventually. Uh, I'll, I'll do more, more post-apologetics on that as well. But my main program is the uh, Backyard Professor Live on Sunday nights at 6. Uh, and and I, I don't mind the live. It automatically records. That's one thing. But with the live, I can have other really nice guests. Uh, yeah. I've had 
biblical scholars and, and uh, regular people and irregular people and normal <laughs> people and weird people and Boston people and vocational people. Yeah, yeah. a lot of fun. I, I, I have trouble taking myself all too seriously. There are some podcasters who do. I don't. Yeah. So I do have quite a bit of fun. Uh, I, I don't always get the professionalism across that some in my audience want. So, and I try to accommodate everybody, but in the end, if I can't be myself, then I'm not going to do this and I can be myself. So I am going to do this, but here's the issue that is so interesting, Renee, when it dawned on me, I, I asked and I expected, because this is what I was taught, you were taught, we were all taught this. So when it doesn't happen, you go, oh, where's the beef? What the heck? What, why are you doing this? It's the church. It, it's a restored truth. It's a restored authority. Why on earth would you have to lie in order to get people to believe that truth right that just doesn't make sense to me yeah and, and i think the other thing is the is the um the elite club that is formed when you're when someone says it has been revealed in scripture you know dallin oaks does this a lot it has been re it's been revealed in scripture and i'm like in whose scripture you know, you're quoting Doctrine and Covenants. That's you and you. Nobody else in the Christian world has that scripture, you know. So they, but they come across as, no, no. In fact, one of my favorite clips, that I wish I would have put it in here. One of my favorite clips was President Nelson, this last conference, quoting Jesus. He said, Jesus said, quote, and then he read, so, and then he said, unquote. And I'm like, the, the DNC or something. Yeah. Were you there? I mean, was this like a book that Jesus wrote? I mean, to quote Jesus as if he literally said those words and someone was sitting there with a, you know, a stenographer. I'm like, that is the weirdest thing I think I've ever heard. Everybody knows where the scriptures came from. So I quote is like, well, you know, but I mean, that's like me saying, you know, the, the, uh, the truth is, if you are born with a, a, a lightning bolt on your forehead and it is written that there was someone born with a lightning bolt on there. Therefore, I can quote you from Harry Potter. And therefore, it is true. I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> you you just quoted from scripture that nobody else recognizes as canon in the whole entire world, except for the fake 17 million that you claim, you know, so to to but but it's scripture. It came from God. And it's like it came from your God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but that doesn't make, you know, this whole truth is truth, you know? Yeah. And yet, and yet interesting to, to carry on that uh, very excellent insight. All of the scripture is someone's interpretation. Whether <laughs> it's or modern, right. Exactly. So, well, when they say, well, the Bible says, yes, indeed it does. And you're right. You quoted it in context, but that's, their ancient interpretation. And right, right. Well, no, that's solid truth. No, it's really not. It's their opinion. Exactly. It's their view. And so, and it might be wise, and it might be wise to practice that, or it might be wise to follow that, or it might be wise to put that in with another scripture over here and another scripture over there. Heck, you could even bring in the Quran, God, yeah. and 
the Bhagavad Gita and the Egyptian Book of the Dead and really have a very cool little idea here. That's yeah. all that. But recognize it is but someone's interpretation exactly. because that's all we've ever had. Yeah, exactly. That was and a moment for me when I when that dawned on me. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And like I said, it was it was the acknowledgement of so many of these things that were uh written and and uh organized and implemented uh by a committee of men. And um, you know, and I like I said, the thing that I CES letter did not phase me. Um, the, um, uh, the, uh, gospel topics essays, I didn't even, I couldn't even get through them because it was like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, none of those really phased me. What really brought my testimony to a plop was the, uh, Greg Prince. I don't know if he speaks anymore. It's been years, I think, since he's done any, any keynotes or any sunstones or anything like that. I don't think he travels back West any longer. Right. Where does he do? You're you're talking about Greg Prince. Yeah, Greg Prince and yeah. his book. The one of the first books I read. One of my one of my first a uh, historical truths was the biography of David O. McKay. It's not an anti Mormon book. It's just a biography oh, of a yeah. man whose secretary kept notes on everything he did every single day, and it's just a recording of his life. And it was that had nothing to do with doctrine or revelations or anything. It was watching how this corporation works. And I realized that it was, I just realized it's a corporation. It's a business and it's, it's business. run by men and rules and regulations are put in into place. And then sometimes they're taken away and it has nothing to do with God or heaven or hell or, or anything. It's just a big, very well-run corporation and uh, there's some really great things. It's kind of like, you know, being in the Boy Scouts if you weren't being molested or, or you know, I mean, my my boys had a great experience with Boy Scouts. Does so that mean that, I, yeah. I never had any problem with them either. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so to say that, you know, all Boy Scouting activities was corrupt and, and abusive, it's like, well, that wasn't true for everyone, but that also doesn't mean that it's not true that it didn't happen. And that's where we have to separate these. And it's the same thing with the church. It's like, look, there are some fabulous, I think the missionary program is amazing as a training program for young men. I don't think women need it, but you know, for young men, it's a perfect way to learn how to live with someone 24 uh, seven, follow the rules, have so. a good work ethic. There's a lot of things that's great about it. Um, yeah. That doesn't mean that it's, it's a God, you know, uh, guarantee that you're going to go to heaven. So anyway, well, I love your stuff and I love listening to you and you make me laugh. And I also learn at the same time, which is fabulous. And, and um, I'm just going to be listening to you every Sunday at six o'clock or sometime. I usually catch you the next morning. <laughs> and for your audience, we will be on tonight at six yeah. o'clock. Yeah. You know we're going we're gonna to go in a different direction. Yes. Yeah. We're going to have a, we're going to have just another really great discussion. So we are having a terrific Sunday. But yeah. Thank you for all your kindness. It's been fun being here. Uh, I've watched several of yours, and you have some. See, this is the fun thing. Now, this is the upside of this YouTube stuff is the amazing insights that so many people have, men and women, uh, 
on so many subjects that you and I don't know about. That's why we have guests on. And then they come and freely share with us. And everyone goes away better informed, hopefully better citizens. And yeah, yeah it's, it's just a ball. So thank yeah. you for having me on your show. Well, it's been my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to this evening. So I will yes. see you in a few hours. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. See ya. Fun in Idaho. Is it beautiful weather in Idaho today? It is. And and actually, today's one of the last real pretty days. We're supposed to have storms for the next week. But yeah, okay. yeah it's a pretty fall day. So all those leaves are going to get blown away. And it's, it's they are. It's they're starting to change colors. So that it's really a beautiful time of the year. So oh, that's great. Love it. All right. Love it very I love you. All right. We'll talk Thank later. You. See Bye -bye. ya. I, I try to warn you. I try to tell you ahead of time what a great what a great thing my guest is going to be. And Carrie did not did not um, fail me one bit. It was so fun. So as he mentioned, we I am going to actually be a guest on his show this evening. He he actually has people that watch him live, so that's going to be fun. But uh, we're going to continue our conversation this evening. Thank you so much for joining me today, though. And I want you to use what you've listened to today. If it just makes you kind of go, hmm, things that make you go, hmm, that's that song. I should have that as my, uh, I couldn't get a copyright, but you know, just that's what learning is all about is just going, huh, I did not know that. Or, huh, I never thought of it that way. And that's, as Carrie mentioned, that's one of the, the really great things about listening to other people as they maybe as the, they've been recapping conference and as a, a certain age, as a, a male or a female, they completely heard the, the lecture differently. And then they express that and you go, huh, I didn't even think of it that way. That's the joy of learning. Do not cut yourself off. Do not restrict your ability to look at the world and go, huh, I never thought of it that way. That's a really great way to go through life is always thinking there might be a different way to look at things. So I hope you do that today. Stand up, become visible, uh, share your love with the world today and have a great Sunday. Bye-bye.